0: my head is full of wanderlust my quiver's full of hope i've got
1: the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope aspen's gold on snowcalf peaks the elk call me away i can't keep my mind on working on this fine september day i've got nimrod Nero,
2: welcome back to the track quest podcast james Orr here and bob the bow hunter borland what up bob how much man how you doing uh i'm just running around with my head cut off my cousin's driving up from san francisco he should be here in about two hours and i still need to get the wall tent and my cooler and all my uh stuff packed into the truck i'm headed uh Couple hours north up to Echo Archery, the home of uh, Carson Brown. Going to go do some uh, do the self bow class for the next four days. That'll be
1: awesome, man. That will be yeah. awesome. So he he does the he has the stave and everything, right?
2: Yeah, he's got um, Osage and U staves. He's got a pile of them. You got to pick through them and choose your stave and he's got all the tools he says to just show up with a pair of work gloves
1: awesome that'll be fun man
2: yeah and i think there's six six guys in the class so me my cousin and four other guys sweet and yeah it's i'm pretty excited um to you know build my first self bow and carson builds amazing looking bows and Um, he's got a really high success rate, like 90, I don't know what it is, 95% or 98% success rate of these bows, like not just breaking, uh, right out the gate. So that's, I think that's pretty cool. I think a lot of guys that get into self bows go through the breaking phase for a while. And so, um, I guess hopefully I'm going to skip that, that, that portion of it, but who knows? I have no, really no idea what to expect.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll see.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go with Osage just because you um, is uh, so available here in the Cascades here in Oregon. And and I thought it'd be neat to, you know, it's not like uh, you, you, I can get my hands on a you stay without ordering it. So since they're available, I'm going to go ahead and go with you. And You mean Osage?
1: Kinda, You're getting them mixed up there.
2: Yeah. 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 I'm going to go ahead and go with you. Yeah. So, I mean, go with Osage. Durr. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So
1: sweet, man. Yeah. I got a couple U staves. I've actually been, cause I did a class with John Strunk, like shoot it's probably been four or five years ago. Um, so I actually have a couple U ones that I've been drying since then. So yeah, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to go down Friday night, me and Andy, and we're going to hook up with you guys and, do a little podcast, and I told Carson when we were up there hunting, I was going to bring him those use stays and see if he thought they were worth anything, or you know, not, not like I'm selling them, but give them to him, see if they'd make a bow. Uh, right. He said that sometimes the bugs get in that U or something, so I probably screwed them all up. But they looked like good ones from what I learned from that class. So yeah, that'd be sweet, man. It's uh sounds like it's an addicting little venture. Getting yeah, into that.
2: So you took John uh, Strunk's class.
1: Yep. Yeah. I took it, uh, with Andy and the guys from his little club, that black rose traditional archers. It was a, it was a good time. It was, it was two days. I think Carson doing a four day class is, I mean, I think that's what you need is uh, a couple more days. Um, but it's fun, man. It's like I said, I think before on this podcast, it's kind of opens your eyes up. You know, I'm actually sitting at my new house here. Um, and I'm looking down the hill and the the brush is kind of a creek and some woods behind my place. And I'm looking at a big patch of ocean spray right now, which, you know, you, you don't notice that stuff until you do a class like that. And you're like, oh, that'll make a bow. That'll make a bow. And then you get super addicted. I, I was doing it for a couple of years, but my shoulder was so messed up. I just couldn't couldn't work through them all the way. So,
2: yeah, I've I've cut uh, some straight pieces of uh vine vine maple that i have sitting in the in the garage for later ventures so i've got a couple couple uh nice long yeah i
1: I did a couple vine maple ones but man even you know that vine maple even when you're out in the woods and you see it's it's for those guys that don't live around here i mean it's just a gnarly it kind of grows horizontal and along the ground and it's snaky and and so you see a piece that looks straight, you're like, oh, that's the straightest one in the woods. This one's perfect. And even those, you get them home, you drive, them, and then you actually start working on them, and they're all <laughs> crooked
2: as heck, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I have like four or five of them, and one of them looks pretty darn straight. Yeah, so I worked yeah. through
1: some of those, and they got, I mean, I actually have a couple I need to, to finish, but uh, I think they're a little more difficult, and they have a lot of little knots and snags in them but they're a super tough wood so and so is that ocean yeah. spray that ocean spray grows really straight and it's a super tough wood too
2: so yeah i was thinking maybe kid bows for yeah. uh with those maybe or something like that so yeah it's going to be awesome to just go you know that through the experience and and you know hopefully have a, a skill set at the end and I know I've shot some of Carson's bows, and they they do shoot awesome. I mean, I was super impressed. I w- I, I had no idea that those self bows, uh, you know, were, were so shootable. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. So who who do we got on the podcast tonight, Bob?
1: Well, tonight it's going to be a little different. We uh we actually had the push guys get a hold of us, so we did kind of a uh what does matt call it a party cast so we just kind of sat down with the push guys and and bs'd for shoot a couple hours so uh yeah we got to meet them super good guys and we kind of went through basically you know how we all got into bow hunting and set up so you get a little info on you know the four of us Uh, if you guys most of you guys probably listen to the push podcast too but it's a one of the other traditional archery podcasts and those guys are from back east and so we talk a little bit about the difference in the east and west and talk a little bit about crossbows and all that good stuff and yeah and uh, Pu-
2: push quest as they called it so, <laughs> yeah they're yeah, super cool.
1: super good guys to talk to man awesome just good old boys so it, it was it was good we actually kind of had to cut it off you know i mean shoot we could have talked forever like like most of these it's these yeah. podcasts are so much fun because you just yeah. you're just hanging out hanging out with the guys talking about hunting i mean who what bow hunter doesn't love doing that so we're definitely yeah, going to have to get get them back on again i know matt and james their their Hi. ocd minds they were super that's, that's my daughter in the yeah. background <laughs>
2: okay. yeah Ava. yeah matt Matt, Zeran, and Tim Nebel. Yeah, me and me and Matt were kind of kind of dive into all kinds of rabbit holes, and it, we didn't really get too into bow hunting. But you know, those guys are awesome dudes, like you said, and they're doing a lot for traditional archery, and they've got a really cool YouTube channel, um, the Push, and they've made some just great films, and they're really doing a great job promoting traditional archery to the masses. So we definitely appreciate yes. those guys, and it was cool getting together with them. And um, we're definitely going to do it again and maybe dive Daddy. more into bow hunting. Daddy. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this. Yeah. Die. <laughs> die, die, die. All right, enjoy.
0: I don't agree with that comment. I didn't That's you off. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, i, I love for it you to say something come on bro just hit just hit record <laughs> welcome what? back what are we going to call this i don't want to call it the push podcast let's podcast. call it the push quest push, <laughs> push, push. push. push <laughs> quest it is welcome back to the push quest <laughs> i am your main host the captain <laughs> the captain of the ship tim nebel This along is with your- my sidekick Robert Borland. What's up, Robert? Uh, How you doing, buddy? This is the Admiral, James Orr. (laughs) And I'm swabbing the the decks, Matt Zernzak. (laughs) If you're going to let me have the helm, let me have it. All right, you got it. Go for
3: it. I I feel like this is going to be a train wreck.
1: (laughs) Oh, We got this. We'll get in a groove. It's all good. All right.
0: Welcome to the first ever push... Slash TradQuest podcast. Mr. James Orr and Mr. Robert Borland are on the line here with us tonight, along with my first mate, Matthew Zernzak. What's up, fellas? What's going on? Happy to be here with you, fellas. How happy are you on a scale of A to Z? (laughs) Not one to 10, but A to Z. A to Z. One to 10 is too restricting. I'm uh, pretty happy. Pretty
2: happy. Robert? (laughs)
1: Is A good or bad? That's yeah, that's right. Right. I, I had the same
3: question, Bob. Robert
1: hung up. I, I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm glad to glad to get to know you guys a little bit. It's yeah. uh we listen to your podcast also, so um it's gonna be good to kind of get to know who's behind the push and uh and vice versa. So yeah, are for you?
2: cool and setting this thing up, you guys. Yeah, we're we're totally we're totally stoked to be on here. I'm happy from A to Z. Oh and, nice. Um, yeah, I mean, me and Robert are just a couple hillbillies from the or- Oregon coast. And, um, I, are you guys both from PA and then one of you and then Tim, you're living in Ohio or do I have that right?
0: Yep. That's correct.
2: Yes. That's correct. Yep.
3: We, yeah, we went to the same, Tim and I went to the same high school and, uh, we actually went to the same college together as well. And then, uh, after we graduated, Tim moved out to Ohio.
2: Okay, that's awesome. And yep. you guys are still uh still hunting. We are
3: still hunting. We absolutely are still hunting. We um poking around, it's late season, it's cold out. We got a we have a busy January with the ATA coming up in, in the Lancaster Classic, but I think there's what, one I think there's one weekend I can still get out and that's gonna be next weekend. Not this coming, but the following after that. And Tim, I think you're the same. You have until the, you have until end of February, right, Tim?
0: I got another month yet. I got till February 4th or 5th, I believe. Dang, that's, that's going to be nice. January 8th as we yeah. record this. So. Yeah, we had a big uh, temperature spike today. It's been like in the single digits for a couple weeks here, but today it was like just under 40. So I think that might get me out a little bit more here toward the end of the month, the middle of the month, end of the month. Yeah. What's the weather I, like out there? Are you guys in crazy snow right now? yeah so I, I
2: don't I don't see any snow. I can see the Pacific Ocean from my uh living room, and we're about probably around fifty to 70 degrees year round. Uh, it doesn't really, really it gets like we get a little bit of 40 and 30 degree weather, and we get a little bit of 80 and 90 degree weather, but pretty much it's like sixty degrees here.
0: And God, it rains
2: wow. a ton, and it's like super green and super rainy and yeah that's it's 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 a different world
1: yeah and i i live what am i five hours from you james
2: about 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 five hours yeah
1: yeah so i'm kind of up in the north and a little bit more central part of the state so i live in the suburbs of portland basically so it does get a little colder we got freezing rain a lot and stuff like that in the winter it snows maybe once a year up here but i live right at the foothills of the cascade so like mount hood and stuff you know there's Ski Resort's up there, and it's only 40 minutes from my house, half an hour or so. But uh, we don't get the coastal – my as mild of coastal weather as James does down there. But it still rains a ton here. Oregon's kind of where the west side of the Cascades is, is kind of a rainforest. And then you, you go an hour from where I'm at up over the Cascades, and it just dries out and turns into sagebrushes, juniper, and stuff like that. So it's a neat state to live in. Yeah, That's you awesome. can
2: drive – from the coast range in about six hours and go through a valley of ag land into a mountain of giant trees and then drop into a high desert that's crazy wow to have all those environments that that close yeah. together that's pretty wild yeah. and then with that we have roosevelt elk rocky mountain elk white-tailed deer colombian white-tailed deer black-tailed deer mule deer um, you know, a big wolves, lions, bears, oh my, all that stuff. Bigfoot. <laughs> there you go. Bigfoot. Yeah, Statefoot he's known probably. to roam around
1: up here for
3: sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did, it, Bob, you're you're right in the suburbs of Portland. Would you say you have more deer in your county or more hipsters?
1: <laughs> de- <laughs> de- definitely more hipsters for sure.
2: Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Bre- breweries and hipsters. There you go. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: How did you guys? How would you guys meet being that far away? Um, well, at the tr- our
1: Traditional Archers of Oregon um has a banquet every year, and so um last year at the banquet, I I'd met James. I think we met a year or two before that at the banquet.
2: Yeah, we have a bunch of mutual friends, but go ahead. And uh anyway, we were
1: basically I was talking to Andy about I've been trying to I tried to talk my buddy Andy into doing that doing a podcast for
2: um, a- Andy Pon- Andy Ponce, addictive archery. Yeah, oh, for la- okay. the
1: last year, because I- he knows he's way more tech savvy than I am. Dude, he got some we did nice
2: that- work. His arrows are beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. and after after we did that gritty bowman, we were on there with him, and I was like, dude, somebody's got to do a tr- traditional archery one. It's somebody's got to do it. You know, I'm thinking of all the cool guys to interview, and and I- so anyway, I was kind of trying to talk him into doing it. And you guys, and
2: then- you guys hadn't dropped yet, and he was talking to Andy about it and I was talking to Andy about it and so Andy kind of just brought us together and was like you two dudes need to do this together oh that's cool yeah
1: yeah and then and, and then James was like yeah I'm going to do it and I'm like okay perfect like <laughs> I don't have to do it now
3: <laughs>
2: so
1: and, I let James do it and then he and then yeah
2: he roped Jamie you in well yeah he didn't want it and then he was like you do it and then every month he'd call me like are you doing it or not and I'm like well I'm trying to figure this stuff out man uh why don't you do it with me and so I, I i got like a few episodes and then we went to a big uh western state shoot and he was there and i sucked him in and, and introduced him as my co-host and he was giving me a, some dirty looks like what are you doing and <laughs> and then by like episode 10 i was like man you better start helping me with this and so yeah it was.
1: it's a lot you guys know it's a lot of work And uh time away from the family and stuff. And I think James was kind of getting burnt out. And I could see that and I didn't want him to stop doing it. So, you know, I had a talk with the wife and uh she basically kind of gave me the blessing, I guess. It's not that I wouldn't want to do it otherwise. It's I mean, I spend a lot of time with my job away from home and then I I negotiate. I usually hunt, I'm away from home almost about six weeks a year hunting. And then so the rest of the year is kind of my time to catch up and and make up for that. And so doing these these a couple of times a week on the nights I'm supposed to see her, you know what I mean? It's a big it's a big step for her and the family, too. So I kind of got her okay. And
3: uh, here we are. Yeah, it's okay. it, it's so cool to see. Um, we were really happy to see whenever you guys dropped your podcast. It was really cool. And just let's just back up. Let's set the stage here for our listeners. I'm sure our listeners on both sides of the fence are probably very confused about what the heck is going on right now. So um, we kind of dove right into the conversation. So we have this is the the push and tradquest partycast. Po- First time we're on the on the horn together. Um, we are going to be recording this off of one PC editing it and sharing the mp3 files and the trad quest is going to launch the episode and the push is going to launch the episode so um, some of the trad quest listeners right now that are subscribed to the trad podcast are probably thinking what the heck is going on <laughs> like we know all this stuff about you guys so it's this is uh this is pretty cool we're very happy to uh to be doing this with you guys so um but what what motivated you i mean what did you see what i mean you guys talked about how you came to Dropping the podcast and and starting it, but I mean why why the desire why the need to to launch a, a podcast? I mean we both launched a podcast in 2017, which was a big year for both of us So can you just talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so for me on my end I was just a podcast junkie like anytime I was mowing the lawn or any free time or into you know, doing anything where I could have earbuds in my ear, I, I was listening to Joe Rogan or Gertie Bowman or Dr. Rhonda Patrick or uh, Cody Rich, um, Jason Sankovic, whoever. I mean, I, I listen to everything, like a lot of different stuff. If I get interested in, in paleo or ketogenics or something, I'm listening to a podcast about it. And it's kind of my media that I like. And, and so, uh, I became friends with Sankoviak of the, uh, bow, hunt, uh, traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast. And he sucked me in to talk about, uh, black-tail hunting here mm-hmm. in Oregon. Yep. And so I went on his podcast and I really was like, Kind of like not not really wanting to do it, but he talked me into doing it. And then he started sending me, forwarding me different like emails like, oh, everybody loves this and they want you to start one and you need to do it. And he he was really the driving force pushing me towards starting one. He was like, you know, all you know, Oregon's a very rich traditional archery past. We have a, a lot of boyers, we have a lot of people who, who uh, have, you know, been around the, the scene, you know, that going back, you know, all the way to the turn of the century. And so there's uh, a big community here and Jason thought that I should share a lot of that community and that people would like it. And, and so that, I think that was, uh, kind of my driving force and, and just wanting to, I'm kind of a social butterfly and I'm wanting to meet more people and learn, you know, it's kind of like a lot of guys say it was a, in a selfish way of, of getting to just call up a guy like you know Doug Borland and get to pick Doug Borland's brain, I mean that's that's priceless. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, you know uh, Dick Robertson, guys like that. I mean, that 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 had a big uh, you know reasoning for it, and and I, I can't speak for Robert, but I, I know that he was on the gritty Bowman, and that was uh, you know probably had something to do with it. What what do you say, Robert?
1: Well, for me, um, you know, kind of the same uh, with, the uh, after doing that gritty Bowman, like I said, I thought about all the people out there that I wanted to interview or, you know, whatever, but it, it, a little bit different reason for me. I've been bow hunting since I was a little kid. You know, my dad started bow hunting back in 75. I was born in 80. So I started, and it's always been my life since I was a little kid. You know, I, First year I was able to hunt in Oregon. I was 12, and I was, you know, able to get a deer. And the next year I got a deer and an elk. And, and uh, I think 14 was the first year we my, we talked my dad into going out of state. My I have an older brother who's five years older. And and for me, like bow hunting has changed a lot just in that time, just in the time from when I was 12 to now. You know, in the last 20, 25 years, our bow seasons, the whole structure out here in the West has changed a ton and and a big part of that is due to the technology and the and the compounds and the range finders and and it's and it's limiting our opportunity and and i apply all over the west i've hunted every western states most of them several times and and it's it's hard for me to see you know like these opportunities dwindling away you know tags that i used to be able to go I used to be able to go hunt mule deer in Nevada every couple of years, you know, and and that's time with my family, my dad and, and my brother and my little cousin shoot my little cousin turned 12. We were able to just go, you know, well now you're lucky to go every five or six years and draw a tag, you know, it, it just gets tougher and tougher and tougher. So uh, for me, I kind of wanted to be able to bring a little bit more of the traditional archery into the limelight. You know what I mean? Like, like you get all the podcasts on the, compound side of things and just be able to show guys that traditional archery is effective there is a lot of guys out there that are super efficient with it and that we're i feel like we're kind of at a time right now where even the hardcore compound guys and the hardcore track guys like we all kind of need to like get together and say hey there is a difference for, for us out west i know it's kind of different for you guys back east but there's a difference here and and something's gonna need to give, or we're gonna lose a lot. And so that's kind of that's my reason, and some people might not agree with it, but that's definitely the main reason I kind of decided to help James if I could help out that issue and and um, through talking to a lot of these guys, and I think it has with us, you know on our end, we've gotten a lot of good feedback from from talking to those guys like Dick and stuff that you know
2: might sound controversial, but it's hard to argue with that. And- we, we have some traditional only bow seasons out wet, out here in Oregon, and we're, we're pushing for more of them um, to because a lot of, like he's saying, our season, some of these places where you could hunt every year, now you have to wait 5, 6, 10, 12 years to hunt them, and I know that in the Midwest where they want to kill all the deer and they're letting you guys use crossbows and shoot five deer a year seven deer a year it's it's different than out west where we get one deer tag and uh, we're all uh, fighting over the same unit to go hunting in and so we we don't want to see the you know the um uh, compound community lose opportunity we just want like muzzle loaders have a, a separate season I mean, we want to be able to keep our opportunity as as uh the seasons dwindle, and I think that's kind of what robert's touching touching on and it's kind of a touchy subject and, and it's 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 just different from state to state yeah Tim, yeah, me and Tim being we are a little sheltered
3: from that tim do you you don't do you see any of that going on in Ohio or
0: any reduction um, in
3: access or opportunity
0: I wouldn't say a reduction in in like uh in season length per se but um, i started hunting in ohio in 2011 and back then we could harvest three you know it's always been three deer you can harvest two does and a buck or or three does Um, but prior to that like some of the guys i talked to that grew up around here you know and like my same age when they grew up you could shoot eight or ten deer back then and you know if you go Far enough back on that timeline, you know, it was like that, like, like James said, you can shoot eight or 10 deer. And I don't know, you know, I don't think it's from habitat loss. I'm not really, really well versed on it. Um, but, but definitely on a long enough timeline, you know, the number of tags that they have been issuing here has been decreasing for sure. I know that Kansas put out
2: a report that was really interesting where they've got like their archery season has exploded, and like uh, something like one third of the precip- uh, of the um, bow hunters in the archery season are carrying crossbows. And they expect that to double over the next couple years. and and they have a draw system that is becoming increasing like the West. You could use to hunt it every year, and now you've got to put in for it, and it's becoming, more and more difficult to uh, draw a tag to hunt Kansas uh, due to the crossbow ending, entering the season. And Oregon is, I think we're the last state standing. We, we don't have a crossbow uh, allowed in our state, uh, any shape or form uh, at all, but it, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. It, they're pushing, they're knocking on our door every single year. And, um we're hoping to get it into the rifle season like Colorado did um and not into the bow season because it, you know it it'll just make it uh, that much more crowded
3: yeah it was interesting we we had this conversation uh within our group of friends pretty recently
0: right tim i think we have it every week <laughs> <laughs> but
3: but what we uh what we did was we started looking at um we started looking at the data on past harvest rates dating back to like the mid nineties of, we just picked some random States like Kansas and then Ohio and one, a couple mm-hmm. other States. Um, and we started looking at the percentage of animal harvests in that state continue to grow using archery or legal equipment in archery seasons. Okay. But the total number of deer harvested is pretty much steady from a five to 10 year. I mean, you do see blips in the graph, but you go back to what I like to do is I went back to the year that the crossbow was legalized in whatever state we were looking at and see if we saw any measurable spike in quantity of deer being harvested overall the entire year. And then you look at hunter Mm -hmm. recruitment and license uh, sales and what the data is showing on these random state samples that we pulled was that the total number of deer being harvested or animals being harvested are not increasing from year to year. It's staying pretty stagnant. The percentage of those deer being harvested in archery season is increasing. However, the hunting license sales is typically down year over year. Mm. So what that's telling you is that more and more people that had bought archer or had bought general hunting licenses in the past these rifle hunters are now having easy access to step into the early September early October early November woods with equipment that's legalized to step into the field um, and they're harvesting their deer they're spending their tags they're they're harvesting or punching their tags just using different equipment now what does that do for the overall? long-term look on what our tree seasons look like that's yet to be determined but you know there is it, it was really interesting to me to see that overall deer harvest numbers are staying pretty stagnant from year year over year and hunter license sales is not increasing so what we're seeing is we're seeing a shift in interest of weaponry you know you got those rifle hunters now having uh, an easy access through the crossbow to get into the early october woods which is pretty interesting
2: and for us, you have to choose your weapon. So, a rifle hunter is a rifle hunter. You don't get a hunt rifle season and then jump into a bow season. If you buy it, you get one elk tag and one deer tag, and it's going to be either a rifle tag or an archery tag, or a muzzle or a muzzleloader tag. There is no jumping from season to season. You just choose your mm-hmm. season, and and you uh, and you go with that. And I think what we've seen is the success rate in archery season has really gone way up and so when the seasons were set and we're we were showing having a low impact on animals and having like this four percent success rate and now that we're climbing way higher like triple that i think idaho clay hayes was saying it had gone from four to 24 in archery season. Uh, in archery season That they're going to have to make an adjustment. Um, Like the state of Washington, they went from a a a four week season to a two week season for elk. Uh, Oregon once had a five week season, now it's thirty days, and and there's talk about more controlled hunts and more split. You know, it's they're just going to keep dwindling it down as we have a uh, a bigger impact on the wildlife. And so, what we hope to do is, like I say, it's not necessarily to take away from from any one group, but to, sh- to keep, to show the stats in our state that we still are a low impact and I, and I, I need 30 days at least <laughs> if, if I think I'm going to get an elk, uh, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be able to get it done in seven days. Uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, and, and I know that I could with, with, a, a compound bow, uh, my opportunities come and go. And so, you know, there's, you know, there's that. And I mean, it could be talked in so many different ways, but so it's curious, kind of a gist on, on some of those examples that you just cited.
3: So like in Idaho, that, that increase from four to percent up into the twenties, low thirties, I forget the percentage you, you said, um, did the, that was success rate from a percentage standpoint, but did the total number of animals harvested that do you know happen to know was that staying pretty much equal is that same trend happening out west where um those those hunters are choosing to fill their tags with different weaponry where years past they were using a rifle to harvest that game
2: you know what i I can't answer that question honestly, but I know that what I've noticed and Robert, you can touch it on this, but it seems like you're most guys they rifle hunt or they bow hunt um it's not like you know they they buy it like you know buy a tag and then they're going to go use a different weapon on that next season they they kind of have their season that's their game
1: well in in oregon we're kind of forced that way i i know in idaho montana a lot of guys bow hunt and then they can still use their rifle tag you know or their archery tag elk you know they just get an elk tag so they can bow hunt for 30 days and then they can go rifle hunt for oh, however okay. long that season is in in idaho and montana but i think those are those are the last couple states you can do that in so i don't know like he said that that was um, clay and we don't know the exact yeah, on that. i don't know i know yeah. i know for oregon like the only reason that our success rates haven't jumped through the roof and this is just my personal non-biologist <laughs> dumb plumber uh, opinion <laughs> but like our hunting has gotten you know especially for the deer has gotten terrible you know they outlawed hunting with hounds years ago in what 96 or 97 and 96 so we've got 20 years of of non controlled mountain lions and bears that just hammer i mean they're just hammering the deer and, and they have they it and forever
3: and, they and they so anyway the wolves.
1: The, yeah the deer hunting has gotten terrible but you still have that success rate. You know what I mean? Like the success rate was whatever. We'll say it was 6% on deer or whatever. And now it's only gone up a little bit. Well, it's gone up that much, but the hunting is terrible. So <laughs> the guys are going out there. They're able to still get a deer one in one in every 10 guys, but that's because they're able to shoot 80 yards or 90 yards or whatever. And the, the last little living one that's out there gets whacked. Whereas before the same guy with the stick bow needed multiple opportunities to get a lot closer blah 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 when there was a lot more deer around. So um
2: and, and I think that's a good point too out east where predominantly tree stand hunting um you know is you're not seeing the 100 yard shots like out west the the equipment uh, is so efficient and you know I have uh, I know a bunch of guys personally that that take game a 100 yards even 100 plus yards um with uh, compound archery tackle every year
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so it's it's me, it's a
0: it's a different game for sure yeah let me ask just a couple questions before we move away from this because i think matt kind of alluded to it and i just want to stay on that same vein um so when these states move to weapon specific tags the the archery you know, the the archery success percentage went up but the total deer harvest number did not so that 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 you know success percentage that successful whatever you guys are calling it that number of successful bow hunters who are out there that's going up but the total number of deer aren't going up so that's really not the deciding that's really not a telling factor a telling number but the decision makers are using that as it as the you know as a valuable number is that is that right am i reading that right no no i mean
1: the way most of these states are is um you know the the amount of archery tags i and i'd have to look up the data but it doesn't fluctuate a ton from year to year uh, at least in oregon and i know like we, we can use controlled hunt specifically you know like an area like our mount emily or, or Winaha, they give out 50 tags a year you know what i mean there's that's how many bow hunters are going to be in that unit every year. So that that's kind of like a controlled part of the, the the theory here. So when we say the success rate goes from, you know, five percent to fifteen, that's just that many more elk getting killed. You know what I'm saying? I, I get where you guys are are going with it.
2: And and I think you also have to take into account that like there's some states like Wyoming from what I understand are doing like a fabulous job with their wildlife management. And we live in a state that that is not the case. Our, our uh, department of fishing and wildlife uh, they're, they're not managing to have more animals. They're managing to sell more tags to hunters that, I mean, that's it at the end of the day. Um, They seem to care more about uh, salmon and the commercial catch of salmon. And a lot of money goes into the uh, salmon habitat. And uh, as far as wildlife goes, um, it, it doesn't matter if our unit, uh, like the Tioga unit I live in, we had 18,000 elk in it and now we have 9,000 elk. They're still selling 7,000 rifle tags every year. They don't care. So it's, it's hard to, to, to figure out how those numbers correlate yeah. because and they're not. And
1: it's the same thing. Like all of our units for rifle are draw in the whole state besides the Western state. So the all of Eastern Oregon where you can shoot a rifle a decent ways is all draw. And it's the same thing. Like James said, there's units where they give out 2000 rifle tags. Well, they've given out 2000 rifle tags since 1996. You follow me? Yeah, <laughs> and, the, right. and the amount of deer aren't keeping up when you got all those lions eating them. Yeah. And then everybody, you know, still giving out. I mean, I bet you there's units, there's units over there like Hepner and Starkey and Ukiah and the Buley unit and blah, blah. blah. I mean, I don't think there's there's not that many there's not the amount of there's not that many bucks in the unit and they give out that many tags. There's no way yeah. there is like I, I grew yeah. up hunting a couple of those units and and you can cover some ground and not see
2: a deer with horns for. Yeah, for weeks. So I think this could go round and round and round. But um to, to leave this alone. Um, how, you know, how did you, why did you guys start the push? I know you guys have a really awesome YouTube channel and I remember when you guys released that first video and I, I was like, wow, this, you know, was super cool. And I know that that really has helped a ton of guys get into traditional archery. And I, you know, I'd like to thank you guys for putting that out because, you know, the more our, our, uh, sport grows, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, that's why we do TradQuest, and that's why you guys do the push. Can you can you uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you guys got your start?
0: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, like you said, James, you you were a podcast junkie. I know I was a, a definite podcast junkie. Um, almost at you know, being a bachelor, almost at an unhealthy level. <laughs> yeah, you really were. <laughs> um, but,
3: uh, and, well, and your job, right? I mean, you were a road warrior there for years, so you were in the yeah, truck I mean, all I, the time.
0: Living in the truck. So yeah, we're talking, we're talking hours of podcasts per day, but, um, but I had been a compound hunter for a lot of years and, and kind of got curious about the tr- traditional side of things and Matt was neck deep in it. Uh, You know, and he was a good buddy of mine anyway, so I kind of naturally latched onto him and, you know, like a parasite, and just started sucking all this information out of him. And we got together, you know, that one day, one or two days, and and put together that original Push film. And I think that we just, we wanted to make that information available on a wider platform for people. Um, And and I, I think that... You know I saw all that information that I was sucking up every day, and I knew a lot of guys that were podcast junkies also and and you know we I think we started talking about that possibility from that point and and you know Matt did most of the research on on you know how all this stuff works. it's not not the easiest thing in the world for sure. I mean Matt can attest to that whenever you're getting started and trying to figure out how to, how to set everything up and iTunes and Podbean and Stitcher and all that, but oh man uh, yeah. Nightmare, Right, Matt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, I yeah,
2: mean – I'm, I'm shocked we I, even did I mean, <laughs> pulled it off, to tell you the truth.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, yeah but, it, I mean it, it was just a, a, an interesting venture at the beginning. I think it was exciting, just like you guys said, to be able to talk to some of these guys that you'd only heard about before, or you'd only read about, or, you know, your your dad was always talking about Gene and Barry Wentzel when you were growing up. Or, you know, uh, we, we interviewed Jeff Cavanaugh last week. Jeff, you know how many he's got like 120, 120 some videos on YouTube. We've watched every single one of them. Um, guys like Clay Hayes, the same, you know, the same same type of knowledge as that, and just being able to reach some of those guys that 99.999% of our listener base doesn't have access to, um, you know, aside from sending them a, a Facebook message and hoping to God that they they might get a reply from the guy, um, but you know having access to guys like that and just, um, trying to give our listener base a voice and you know, we really listen to our listener base and we tried to, we do a lot of listener question type episodes and try to bring all their questions into the limelight and just be a voice for them. Maddie.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, nothing you said I, I don't agree with. Um, yeah, it was just that the very start was was the the push film and our YouTube content. That's really what it, where that all started. We wanted to put together that original film, like you had mentioned, James. Just to, I mean, you you have to click on three different websites, buy maybe buy a book, watch a DVD, and then talk to a couple local guys just to get all the information that you need to shoot your first arrow with traditional archery. And we wanted to make a one stop shop. Um, to kind of go through all the different types of bows give somebody a crash course on that kind of stuff just to say hey this is a good starting point and the response was absolutely ridiculous I mean we never expected that we really didn't we we were just playing around Tim Tim just has a, a an eye for an extreme talent with cinematography and his cameras and um, it was just a good matchup and whenever I mean how long did that take us to edit Tim
0: no probably uh two or three months maybe
3: yeah so when, when that when that launched that was uh it was really neat and uh the response was big and then we continue to put more content out on our youtube channel and i agree tim like that the whole podcast thing it was just a natural progression it was just another way to gain access to the great minds and the icons of our sport and present it in a fashion to kind of keep driving our our mo you know helping expedite the traditional archery learning curve and you'll obviously know that we always take a take a hard left turn in our conversations at some point i'm sure we will here sometime during this podcast to talk about the shooting aspect of it um that that's where my biggest interest lies within this this pastime is is you know the, the constant challenge of getting your arrow to hit its mark whether you're bearing down at a target with a heartbeat or you're shooting at 3d foam or you're practicing in your basement, you know, that just the, the art of shooting a arrow down range is just, I'm so obsessed with it. And it's just like this flame you can't catch, you know, you're, you're never going to get there. You're never going to perfect it. And that, that's really why we, why we started this.
0: And I think podcasting has become, um, almost like the main, you know, the, it's the easiest way to get information about, you know, about our, our niche, you know, our niche and, and your guys' niche too. It's, it's, it's way easier than reading a magazine. I can't even think, I mean, there's traditional bowhunter magazine, crepe magazine, but I don't think there's a lot of like this type of content in there. I mean, there is, but you know, you guys know what I'm trying to say. It's like, yeah, whenever, nobody whenever reads, whenever these,
1: it, nobody reads anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> nobody, and, and, and even, even nobody
1: and Nobody even YouTube, read
2: I don't have a lot of time for like YouTube because I don't have the time for the screen time, but I can put earbuds in and listen to a podcast when I'm at work or when I'm doing pretty much right. anything. And so it makes it really easy to, 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 uh, you know, learn while you're doing something else or to, uh, interact per se yeah and the in the form of the content the the delivery is so different
3: than the written form i mean you can have an article on a magazine that's going to talk about the potential damage of crossbows to the traditional bow hunter right and that is probably going to be trimmed down to 600 words Um, it has to be written very well and it's got to be short concise and to the point where we just sat there and bantered for 25 minutes on the subject and probably covered 10 times the amount of information that you're going to pull out of an article. So, and, you know, and like you said, James, you could just put earbuds in and be driving the tractor and just absorbing this, this knowledge as you're driving. Uh, it's just a different delivery of the content and it's so efficient.
2: Now, when did you come to traditional archery, man? Me? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm on year 10. Um, I didn't,
3: shoot a bow or have any experience in any type of archery. Um, I grew up kind of upland bird hunting, um, small game hunting for rabbits, and then just I was your weekend warrior, your typical part of the Orange Army. I'd get up on opening day and go out to the same old tree and, and shoot, you know. <laughs> That's pretty much what, what deer season was for me. Um, but there was always something inside me. Like I I hunted with my rifle whenever that opening day came and went and I didn't fill my tag. I always found myself slipping through the thick stuff and and just, you know, having that kind of primal approach to to hunting. Um, But I didn't really take up the bow and arrow with the intent of harvesting game. Uh, Every Tuesday night, my buddies, they shot compounds with fingers, uh, with single pin sights and just really crude, beat up old bows and they were doing it to have fun. Um, and they would go to a local bow club right up the road from our, um, from our houses here. And every Tuesday night they would be get together and I wasn't able to hang out with my friends on Tuesday nights. So with that being said, my, uh, fiance at the time, which is my now wife, um, I told her, one early in the year one February that you know I was frustrated because the guys were talking about summer league starting up and archery and you know I was bummed out that again here comes another summer where Tuesday nights so I can't hang out with my buddies um, so I told her that I thought recurves were kind of cool I had no idea what I was talking about or what I was about to get into um, and fast forward <laughs> 10 months uh, I opened up a takedown PSE coyote um, recurve, um, entry level. And that is a decision. My wife probably regrets most times. Um, (laughs) you know, that's, that's what got me into it. And from there it, it was just, you know, my personality is, uh, you know, I'm like a knowledge sponge. I just read and watch and I just keep digging, keep trying. I'm constantly tinkering and I've shot every manufacturer of bow I've owned every manufacturer of bow I've shot every aiming style every form style I mean you name it I've tried it um and I'm just obsessed with it and that's what really got me started on it and it it hit another level it was my second so I I got that bow that Christmas and I didn't hunt with it until the following season and I didn't harvest a deer that season that following season I missed three really nice uh, bucks that season from the ground um and then the following year, I harvested a little button buck uh, from the ground at 12 yards, and from there it was like, "Oh yeah, I'll never be bringing a firearm in the woods with me again for big game." I
2: was. hoping. Well, that's really unique. A guy your age didn't um, start with uh, mod- modern archery tackle with a uh, with a compound.
3: Yeah, that was more um, that was more negligence yeah. of. I mean, I didn't. I knew nothing about it really. And and my you know my friends, my close friends, they were hunting with such crude old 1980s compounds um you know and this this was only 10 years ago so i mean they were way behind the times of you know compound bow technology um they're hunting with i mean they were had to be 40 plus inches axle to axle finger shooting compounds like old old hoyt usa bows right and um so i didn't really they didn't really expose me i look at their equipment and you know my buddy's string would slide off the cam every you know (laughs) every fourth (laughs) week and you know his cable slide would fall off his butt like all kinds of crap was happening with their bows and you know that's what i was exposed to so i wasn't even given an honest introduction to modern equipment um so we'll never know right but i was looking at their equipment i'm like i don't want to deal with all that crap breaking all the time and so that's that's really what what
2: pushed me in that direction yeah that's that's super cool. I I've been in for 10 years also. Um the first 2 years with a compound and I I came from rifle hunting like most guys and I actually didn't know anyone that did archery. I didn't have any friends at all, zero. And I actually went to archery for the the rut. I wanted to hunt uh, elk when they were bugling cuz I I'd, I'd been out in the woods hearing them bugle and I knew that you know, that the long season and to gotta hunt them while they're bugling was archery. And I had went on to, I think it was Bowhunter hunter TV and I seen Larry D. Jones, oh yeah, hunting hunt Roosevelt Elk with the recurve. And so literally like, as crazy as that sounds, I really like, and it, it, it that looked right to me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's archery hunting. <laughs> and so I went into the archery shop. And I was actually shocked to see a compound. I, I mean, I must be pretty like hillbilly, close like living out under a rock. But I was shocked to see these um, compound bows. That was not what I was expecting. I was actually going into the archery shop to buy a bow and expecting to get a recurve or a longbow. And they were like, "Oh no, people don't stopped using those back in the 70s. This is, you know, this is it." And so I, I bought a compound. I, I had no idea and they shop they I spent I think 1800 bucks I bought the best Matthew's monster or Matt I think it was a Matthew's I forget what model it was and and carbon and they set it up for me and spent a couple hours with me and I felt like I was ready to go hunting the next day I mean I was dead on I went to the Bow Rack in Springfield it's a a very famous shop throughout even all, throughout the west and those guys really know what they're doing and they set me up. Uh, I was ready to go. And But at that point, whenever I seen, in that two year progression, um, whenever I seen a guy with a recurve or a longbow, like on TV or pictures, I was drawn to that. I was like, wait a minute, the, the, there are guys still using that stuff. And in my mind, it was just cooler. Like, it was just like, so much cooler. And so after I killed a couple elk and, uh, I was like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to move on to, uh, this, you know, recurves and longbows. Cause it just, in my, in my, I just held it at a higher, at the next level.
3: Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of people out there follow that same trend. Maybe not as fast as you, Tim, th- how long were you, you were archery hunting since you were a teenager, right, Tim?
0: Yeah, I'd say early teens, maybe thirteen, fourteen, somewhere in there. Not, not with great success, but you know, I was, I was one of those guys like you talked about with a, an, you know, hand-me-down pro line of my uncle's that that was, you know, barely more than a recurve, <laughs> like you know, severely out of tune, just arrows that that weren't, you know, weren't matching at all. I, you know, if I had a five arrow quiver, there were five completely different weight, completely different spine completely different broadhead you know in my quiver and you know i wasn't i had you know wasn't successful for probably six or seven years at the beginning of that but but yeah and you were you were the
3: quintessential bow junkie right
0: yeah yeah after after i kind of found some success i was that guy that that had it i don't want to say a new bow but a new to me bow that I would I would buy from Free Talk I would I would buy a bow shoot it for a couple months trade it buy you know trade it for another one or buy buy another one on AT and and I always had you know it's just always wanting to try you know the the next best thing that was out there and and you know I was one of those guys <laughs> never losing and, money in the process though that's and, the and art
2: I think what also sucked me into uh traditional bow hunting more than anything was the community, you know, we have traditional archers of Oregon and I went out to uh, there. they have this annual uh, 3D shoot, the Pope Young. And when I stepped uh, onto that ground and met all these guys, it was it was a community like I'd never been a part of. I mean, these people were talking to me like they knew me. And I was like, I think I'm looking around like I think you got me misunderstood (laughs) for someone else. And they're like, no, brother, you you know, you're part you're part of the group now. And I I uh, I fell in love with that community. And and that even though the traditional bow hunting was a lot more difficult and it took me a lot longer to harvest animals, um, I was sucked in and uh, for life just. Because of the the friends and the mentors that uh, uh, opened up their uh, their arms to me, I mean, that this community we have is is really special. How about you, Bob? Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, well, for me, I guess the traditional thing's always kind of been a goal. I think when I when I was twelve or thirteen, that was when. Um, I think Chuck Adams was chasing the super slam. And then there was Paul Schaefer was right there with the grand slam of sheep and stuff. And Paul Schaefer was my hero growing up. I wrestled a lot as a kid also. And so, as I said before, when I was a little kid, you know, that's my family. We did that every year. That was all I was into. So it was always my goal to consistently be able to harvest stuff like he did with a, with a real bow, you know. And so I started, but I started with a compound when I was 12. I think the first year I bought a bighorn longbow. Asbel era? That, that, yeah, that was Asbel. I think it was 96 or 97.
3: I've always wanted to it, find one of those in sub 50 pounds, but they just do not exist anywhere. It is shot good. I'm not
1: a longbow guy anymore either. And and I shot that. I, I hunted in northern Utah. That year, and I think I took it. I took it to the uh, Panhandle that year too. After a horrible winter kill, it must have been ninety-seven, which we didn't know about. I never got anything with it. Few grouse, but but so that was probably my first year. And then it was kind of back and forth, you know. Like, um, you know, I, I'd shoot it a year or two, and then I would go back to the compound, kill some more stuff, and I think oh one, I ordered a uh, Keith chest. I don't know how to pronounce his last name Chastain. Chastain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Colorado. I took that in the Eagle caps and and so it's kind of back and forth until like uh 07 or something like that. I pretty much I had one year in there where I dealt with a lot of shoulder issues. I tore my labrum when I was like 21 or something and I just got it fixed the year before last. So there was a point a couple points in there where I had to had to go with the compound this, up to like three years ago three or four years ago i had to shoot it one year just because i couldn't pull my damn recurve back man it was just killing me Mm. so uh yeah that's kind of always just been a goal of mine to to be able to consistently you know harvest deer and elk with a recurve it's kind of just you know like anybody sets goals for themselves and and tries to achieve them and uh like james said you know you look at those pictures when you're a kid growing up and you're like, okay, well, that's cool. And Oh man, look at that. You know, that's, you just, there's, there's a little more magic to it. I mean, all the way down to the shot, like you said, I mean, it's, it's an art and uh, it's always just sucked me in. And, and and I never was into the techie stuff, you know, at, at all, even with the compound. I never, I've never shot a release. I mean, when those came out, I was like, that's a, that's a rifle hunters invention to make bow hunting easier right there. I ain't touching that. and, and my brother and dad still hunt with compounds. They've never shot a release either. Uh, my dad, you joke around. My dad still shoots a Jennings Carbon Extreme XLRS from 1980 something. You know, so yeah. so I, that's just so what I see. was always around, and and I just kind of went one step further. So,
0: um, yeah, it's great. I think that that back and forth topic, like you talked about, Rob, is a, an interesting topic because I don't. I mean, like you said, for you, it was because of a an injury. Uh, But for other guys that guys that don't completely make the jump one way or the other, you know, whether you're coming from a recurve to a compound or a compound to a recurve. Um, And I don't understand that because it wasn't it wasn't like that for me at all. Uh, When I started using a recurve, it was like I had zero interest in going back to the compound at all. I had it. It sat in the corner of my office for maybe a month. And I thought, I got to get some money for this. And I put it up for sale and got rid of it. Me too. Ah. I,
2: I sold mine. I sold mine pretty quick and was like, I don't, I don't, as soon as I could keep my arrows into a pie plate at yeah, 20 yards, I sold the compound. I was like, I don't need this thing anymore. And even <laughs> with the, the, all the downs, you know, getting bulls called into 10 yards and shooting over their backs and stuff. I'd have friends who were like, that's oh, time to buy a compound. And I'd look at him like, no, it's not.
0: It's not gonna happen, <laughs> right.
2: No, it's it's time it's time to figure out my shortcomings.
0: That's what it's time for, right? I shot a uh, my a friend of mine, Adam. He was over, uh, I think it was like middle of November. He came over one weekend and he had a uh, a bowtech insanity. He's had for a few years, or invasion rather. He's had it for a few years, and I just just you know jerking around in the backyard. I I shot it you know, a handful of times, six or eight times just for fun. Cause I hadn't shot one since I had sold mine, you know, coming up on three years now and just, ugh, I don't even know. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to describe it. Just really mechanical feeling, just cold dead. It just was not appealing at all to me, you know, nothing against compound guys because I was a, a diehard compound junkie for a lot of years I I bought way more bows than I would care to admit on here and sold more bows than I would care to admit but just I don't know man it's just that that fire for me is not there anymore is uh, the I, I know out here
2: my compound friends they get a new bow every year that seems to be like a standard um a way that everyone out here rolls they everybody wants the the latest and greatest even though they kind of seem to be the same there's not big a big change was that kind of your thing you would right. just get a new one every year or were you getting a new one every month it sounds like
0: well i, I was getting I, I was the you know i was buying a bow that you know somebody would buy new out of an archery shop shoot it for a couple weeks say i don't like it, time time to try something else so they would put it up for sale on at and i would buy it for i buy a thousand dollar bow for 700 bucks Right. And I would shoot it for a couple months to decide if I liked it. It was like I was always in this quest for the perfect bow, but so, I think I, sorry,
2: go ahead. so does that continue in in your traditional quest? Are you uh... no
0: no, because i that's one of the unattractive things to me about compounds is that there's so quickly they're so quickly out um they're, they're so quick to be to become obsolete rather right you know the 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 2017 model comes out and the 2018 model comes out and it it's riser looks a little bit different and it's two feet per second faster so now the value of, of everything a year older now goes down by four hundred dollars and it's crap and nobody wants it you can't yeah. sell it yeah it's like because a because they don't have souls right right no but souls
2: Recurves <laughs> and long have souls well, I, I know that Matt has like a crazy awesome bow <laughs> bow collection. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, that that
3: definitely is is something. I am definitely a junkie. That that's, I, I think that's a just a personality trait, not a not a weapon choice thing. <laughs> I just I'm not <laughs> nonstop. I'm always horse trading. But I mean, I it, they would it would be tough for you guys to name a bow that I did not have ownership of a manufacturer, I did not have ownership of at least one of those bows over the last 10 years. Um, I'm only to be beat by one person and that's Logan Glassburn, Logan (laughs) Glassburn, you know, Logan, the bowman, that dude has a issue. That's a disease. He has a disease. I mean, bows stay in his stable. I mean, I think the quickest turnaround was five days recently, bought a bow, sold it, bought another bow
2: within five days. (laughs) So, but, but he's, you're, you're holding on to him. Yeah, you've got it. Yeah, yeah I'm and on to and him. so he's 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 run through him, and he he shoots compound also, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. He dabbles
3: in mm-hmm. compound. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I have a keeper section, right? I have like I have like this this section that they're not going to go anywhere, and I and I know they're not going to go anywhere. But then I have like this other section of like these are my horse traders, and as, you know at at one point my keeper section was like three bows and then i'd have two horse traders i always had like this five bow collection for the first five years or so and i continued to rotate through those other two bows and the three keepers stayed on the stayed on the rack and i'd shoot them and hunt with them and continue to experiment and that was like my moving capital of of bow funds right um but then as i started you know getting out of college and making more money, like the keeper section kept growing <laughs> and it's like, and it's continued to keep growing. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I do enjoy tinkering and playing for sure.
2: So you must have a pretty big arsenal of arrows and different spines then too. Oh gosh, that...
3: man. I mean, <laughs> I, I take, uh, we, me and my dad, we take, um, uh, two by six and then we took a, a tube, a four inch PVC pipe. And we screw it to the to the two by six, so it lays flat on the floor and just arrow tubes, right? And yeah, I got a bunch of those stuffed full of arrows laying all around my bow shop. Yep.
2: And how about how about you, Tim? How many bows and arrows are, do you presently have?
0: I presently have one bow. I'm a I'm a one bow kind of guy right now. Arrows, my God, dozens and dozens of arrows laying around, but a lot of those arrows are still from the compound days. And um, and uh Bob Bob, how many bows do you got?
1: I have uh one recurve and one longbow.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, uh, and I
1: can't can't shoot my longbow with the crap as of lately, so
0: <laughs> I I I, I so have it's for sale, Matt. did you get that?
2: <laughs> no, it's not for sale. I have uh I have one bow. I have a uh a Blacktail Columbian longbow and I I've had at one point, I did have two recurves at one given time, and then I had a recurve and a longbow at one given time. But I don't think I've ever had more than two at once, two longbows at once. i like to have two bows where I have a backup per se. Um, at the so, but but I'm I mean really I'm a one bow guy. I've always just kind of one bow, and it, I find one another one I like, and I'm usually getting rid of that one because I. I kind of have this thing like I just shoot every single day, even if it's just three arrows a day. And I just have this like relationship. Like I feel like I I just can't really divide myself with another one. I mean, I think, you You know, it's like, no, I can't cheat on it. I mean, having, uh, having more than one would be. And so I guess if I I were to get a second bow at this point, it would probably just be a clone to the bow I have for a backup because (laughs) when I've had, two bows that weren't clones of each other the other one just didn't seem right and so she just stayed under the bed (laughs) you pull pull a jason sam Koyak, right yeah get a clone of whatever bow works for you yeah i think that's and, and and i i do like uh to i i'm not a competitive archer or shoot any competition but i do dabble i do shoot with my friends indoor in the winter time and it is tough shooting a uh, hunting weight bow, and so sometimes for those two or three months, I kind of wish I had the same bow but 15 pounds lighter. Um, and so m- maybe if that priority was high enough, maybe I would have a third bow that was a clone but 15 pounds lighter. But that's a like that's pretty much. I keep it pretty simple, and uh, but I do uh, have. I am looking at other bows. Like I like the bow I have now, but if I were to find, you know, try something different and I liked it, I would get rid of the bow I have now. So that's kind of, kind of how I am. And my friends, like I sold a, I was shooting a Liberty, uh, Alan Boyce Liberty edge last year. And, uh, I got this black till and I told my buddy, do you want to buy this? And he was like, Oh man, why would you sell that? You killed that buck with it. And you did this and that. And I'm like, Cause I don't, I don't need it. Like I'm moving on. <laughs> I, I, I don't have like, uh, those kind of, uh, it, I don't have those attachments to them. Right. So you're
3: very devout to your, uh, to your current bow, but when a prettier girl walks in the party...
2: She's gone. Yeah,
1: She's yeah. Gone. You pitch it right aside. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. You're gonna go buy yeah. her a drink. <laughs> yeah. Wa- 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 watch out, Bob. I might replace you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's <awesome. laughs>
2: That's funny. Yeah. I I have you know there
3: there is a I mean there is an issue. It's it's nice like some like the other night I pulled down. I have a I have an Asbel era, uh, bighorn takedown with the curved limb pockets, and I love taking that thing down you know once a year and just shooting it shooting five, six arrows out of it, and I'll unstring it and put it back on the shelf. Um, But my biggest complex that I have is, you know, I am a diehard competitive archer as well as a bow hunter. So those, to be competitive, you know, your equipment is drastically different than what you typically picture for a traditional bow hunter. 25-inch metal ILF risers, uh, long limbs. I mean, I'm shooting uh, 70-inch competitive rigs and um, elevated rest plunger the whole nine yards. Whenever I'm coming out of hunting season, um, right around that November fifteenth time frame after archery season ends, and I see you know some of the major competitive archers like John Demmer, Dwayne Martin, they start posting pictures and stuff of them indoors grinding getting ready for the competitions that start in January for indoor archery you know that's whenever I have a complex because I know that rifle season is around the corner I'm going to be heading a field with my bow I want to continue to shoot my hunting bow but I know that I'm slightly behind the eight ball than what the competition is because they're already shooting indoors so I always have this like burning like mental warfare going on on which like should I be Using my competition rigs right now, should I be training with those or should I just stay the course and continue to hunt? And that that mental warfare is even worse during the years that I don't have, like, a really good successful archery season because now I really need to get out in the rifle hunting woods with my bow and or late season. Like, my hunting season isn't over, right? So that's... (laughs) That's so issues.
2: do you draw the line and then make the switch to the next bow or do you dabble between two bows for a while? I dabble between two. So like right now is a really goofy period in
3: time because it is still late season. I'm still going up into the woods um, to hunt uh, for, for for deer and everything, but I'm also training every single night, getting ready for Lancaster. I'm, after we hang up this podcast, I'm going to go downstairs. I have an uh, indoor range. I can shoot from my garage through two sets of man doors (laughs) through the basement and then into like a storage room for at 17 yards i can i can get 17 yards in my basement and so after i hang up with you guys tonight i'm going to go down and shoot 20 arrows um, with my competitive rig and then who knows if i get home from work early tomorrow i'll head up in the field with my hunting bow and i'll go i'll go hunt
2: and i've got floodlights. i flip them on it lights up my backyard and i have 3d targets and i can shoot any any time I'll go out there and shoot tonight, um, and and I will. I'll go out there and f- fling some because uh, you guys are getting me all jacked up. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that that'll I'd go do down. If, I'd do the same if it wasn't freaking
2: freezing <laughs> here. Do you do you um, do you set up your crawl like the same point on for your hunting bow and your target bow, and then have like, I mean, how do you keep that uh, that trajectory and and, and all that? without getting your brain all screwed up
3: well it's funny because uh back whenever i started um traditional archery and then especially aiming instinctively i was very dedicated to one bow you know i talked about those three keepers and those two bows that i was always horse trading and trying out well one of those three keepers was my go-to bow that was the bow i shot 95 percent of my arrows out of during the year But once I moved into competitive archery about three, four years ago and started getting into aiming the bow, um, it's like a weird paradigm shift to where I could walk up to anybody on the range and say, hey, can I shoot your bow? And give me 10 arrows shooting that bow to get calibrated and learn the crawls, learn the trajectory. And since I'm using the tip of the arrow for reference, I just know where to hold and know where to aim. So switching bows isn't really that big of a deal for me anymore. Um, but from a competitive standpoint, like my competition rig, I'm typically shooting, whether I'm shooting 3D field or indoor, I'm shooting a dedicated string walking method. So whatever distance away from the target I'm standing, I know what those marks on my tab, the stitches or the incremental grooves in my Yoast tab, I know what they're worth. Um, so I know 20 a 20-yard 20 crawl it might be eight stitches down the tab, and a 40-yard crawl might be two stitches down the tab. Um, so I'm just you know, making that crawl, anchoring in the same point in my face, and executing the same shot. And for hunting, I have a fixed crawl, so I actually put that third knocking point down the string and for any yardage that i'm not at my point on distance for that crawl so typically out this year i think i hunted with a 22 yard point on uh 22 yard fixed crawl and so any distance shorter or greater than i'm holding under or over the target and i typically what i'm finding now is with the arrow weights that i like to shoot and the the draw weights that i like to shoot my gaps are within an inch of each other um with my with any hunting bow i mean i could pick up any 48 to 55 pound bow and throw a 20 25 yard crawl down there and yeah chances are at 15 10 to 15 to 20 yards I'm gonna have to hold six inches eight inches below the target to have it impact there so yeah it, it's not it's not too uh I know it sounds more confusing than what it is but it's it's not that big of a screw to screw up your mind I mean it it's pretty easy to keep track of
2: well, you screwed my mind all up. Yeah, so. I'm just
1: saying, mine's, mine's jacked right now.
2: So, what, Tam? Do you relate to all that? I mean, I understand you understand what he's saying because you're you you uh, are do you shoot like Matt does, and, and how does that relate to what? Yeah. you Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let me translate. What, the, <laughs> what, what he what he's basically saying is so for competition, everything he's shooting is at twenty yards. Well, so he's for, gotta, in, for he's indoor. Gotta, for in, for ind- indoor yeah. competition, yes. Yeah, that's what you're talking about. So, for indoor competition, everything he's shooting is at 20 yards. So he has a knocking point down below his knock set for 20 yards. No, oh yeah, so I get doesn't the fixed crawl. I get
2: the fixed crawl with the yeah. point on. I get that. And are you, and you're shooting a fixed crawl with the 20 yard point on, and and shooting gap yourself?
0: Yeah, okay. I shoot a 25. I shoot a 25 yard fixed crawl for hunting. So if if I have a deer at twenty five yards, I'm holding right on. If it's at twenty, I'm holding a little bit low. Uh thirty, I shouldn't be shooting anyway, but if thirty, you know, a little bit high. So happy. and yeah. and when, when arch when
2: archery season ends for you, do you put the bow up or I mean you're not competitive shooting or what how do, what does that look like for you through throughout the winter and, and, and uh spring?
0: Um I'll shoot in the basement. Um, I'm typically not an an everyday like fifty sixty hours a day kind of guy in the off season, but you know, leading into spring and a turkey season because we love to to turkey hunt too with these with these bows. I'll I'll really start shooting a lot coming into the spring too. So I shoot a lot. I would say from uh, March, you know, beginning of March all the way through till beginning of February of of that, you know the the following year so right my off off season isn't really too long it's just kind of a little little break a little regroup um enough to just enough time to get my you know gear cleaned up refletch some arrows if i have to um kind of regroup from a mental from a mental standpoint and by by that point we have such a long bow season here that by that point i'm kind of ready for a little bit of a break right you know just to kind of you know refresh myself and Regrease all my fittings and Mm. (laughs) you know, on the body. But
3: yeah, the neat thing, I just had a thought pop into my head. Like I could talk for in a, another hour on the benefits of competitive archery from uh, you know shooting under pressure and how that translates to the woods and everything. But that aside, the thing that's I love what our
0: about, podcast is about,
3: <laughs> right? But the thing <laughs> but I that's love, what you do every week. On <laughs> that's, our- that's what I do every week. Uh, but the thing I love about competitive archery is there's always something on the calendar a couple months ahead that just keeps you grinding. Um, you know, hunting season we turn the clocks back and you're not shooting as much. You're in the middle of the season. You know, it's the traditional bow hunters. Uh, crux right is once season starts you don't shoot your bow as much because you're spending every waking hour trying to get into the woods to hunt um but once that we turn those clocks back you know we got Lancaster Classic at the end of January uh there's Vegas in February and then all through the summertime there's the major IBO and ASA shoots there's two going on somewhere on the east coast um every single month and then the big end of year 3d tournament of the traditional world championships with IBO and then the regular world championships with IBO kind of ending in that July and August timeframe. And there's always something on the calendar that you're, I'm, yeah. all, I'm like looking forward to it so much. It's it, like, I don't, I don't
2: experience the post-season blues. I, you know? I don't either. Like January, February, March. I'm researching. I'm thinking about a new bow. I'm usually because I'm even though I'm I'm in love with the one bow, I seem to get a new bow almost every year. I seem to jump to the next bow. Right. So I'm kind of looking at the next bow. Um, I'm actually going to be building myself my first self bow under Carson Brown Echo Archery. Cool. Uh, this this Thursday, nice. I'm taking a, a four day class. Going to build me a Osage bow. So I'm going to do that, and I'm super excited about that. And then, so if, uh, like a,
3: so if we see a picture on your Instagram page of a campfire, we know that it was a project gone wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm working with Carson Brown, so I think I'm going to come out with a shooter. We'll oh, see. Good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a big head start there and so I'm, I'm moving into that and then, uh, I, I'm, I hit 3d shoots like crazy. Like I go to probably 10 or 12 3d shoots from starting in uh april all the way through august um spring bear april and may i'm i'm hit i'm doing that as much as i can um i'm scouting elk like as much as i can through the spring and summer and then you know for us the end of august is the beginning of of it all i mean bow season starts for us and it's it's real serious it's elk season right and, and 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 then we we do that for for a, a solid month and and then october we have a, a lull where we don't get a hump but we're scouting for for blacktails and mule deer and, and and then we move into deer season and that goes into december and we start it all over again so i don't ever really have a time where i i mean my bow is always strung it's never unstrung right right um, um, but I do feel like I just totally refell in love with archery this year, with uh, uh, Doug fur shafts because I've always shot carbons, and I don't know you guys have listened to the podcast a little bit, but I am just super pumped up and excited about shooting wood arrows. It is, uh, it's just sparked a whole new love in me, and I'm kind of scared what the self bow is going to do to me.
3: Right? <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I, I yeah. went through a good period of time where I was making cedar arrows and laminated birch, and I was experimenting with wood. I I did that for about two years, and then once hunting season would come around, I'd always go back to a carbon arrow or an aluminum arrow and hunt. But you know, I always at any given point, I always had a dozen to maybe eighteen wood arrows fletched up with tips on them that I made. Um, Just to be able to play around. There's something about a one-piece longbow and wood arrows that just kind of gets that thing pumping. But I just, I don't know. I'm like that guy that'll be out on the course and I'll be like, here, hold my beer, watch this. And just take stupid shots at, you know, just trying to thread the needle between a Y and a tree. And there's just nothing in this world that's more infuriating to me than finishing up a set of a dozen beautiful cedar arrows on a Sunday and then be out at the bow club on Tuesday night, two days later and you know do one of those stupid shots and snap on your arrows <laughs> like it's just oh man it's 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 so frustrating but... you know
2: I was really worried like I dragged my feet on the wood arrow thing like for quite a long time as much like I, I it was kind of like I could see it was in my destiny but I was kind of scared <laughs> like they were just gonna break and how is that gonna get through an elk and I'm talking to guys that are killing elk every year with them and I'm like I don't know I just don't I just don't believe it, and from my experience, from what I've seen, as far as cedars don't are not quite as durable. But with these Doug firs, right. man, I I stump like crazy, and they are a lot tougher than I thought they were. And and I was used to shooting uh, micro diameter carbons with twenty eight, twenty nine FOC, and I, I'm shooting a uh, six hundred and thirty grain. Um, Sherwood shaft, Doug Fir shaft, with a grizzly, uh, one sixty or one eighty-five grizzly up front, and uh, both my elk and my buck I got passed through, and the arrow was deep in the dirt on yeah, the other end, right. uh, and the, and the animals went down right in front of my eyes. So I'm I'm sold. I'm hook line and sinker on That's it. That's cool. You know, to to your How much point. Weight? Go ahead, Tim. Now you go ahead.
3: Um, to your point, I had a uh, I had a cedar arrow. I have still have a cedar arrow. It's stained black. It has a judo on the front of it. It has three five and a half inch banana cut red barred feathers. I've had that arrow for probably eight years, and that is my arrow. That I I mean, I've stump shot that with that arrow for eight years, and I cannot break that arrow to save my life. Yeah, I mean, it is unbelievable the abuse that one single arrow, and it's like gained a reputation in my quiver for being like a right. tough guy on the block so any like crazy shot i'm gonna take i'm like i'm
2: pulling this thing out like i know it won't break it's wild to see how tough that arrow is yeah i'm shocked i'm shocked uh how tough wood arrows are i never would have i never would have guessed it because you know i would shoot an access arrow with a brass insert and an aluminum sleeve and they were just indestructible but um these wood arrows have shocked me i'm i'm, I'm like i said i'm sold on it
0: were you were you asking how much weight I'm shooting, Tim? I was going to ask how much weight can you get away with up front, up for with Doug furs. Well,
2: um, what I'm what I'm what I'm seeing is, like I have a friend that shoots three hundred grain tough heads on a Doug fur, um, but I don't want to shoot an eight hundred and fifty grain <laughs> arrow. <laughs> That's the problem. And so, um, I, I I'm thinking about trying some Sitka spruce arrows because they're like a hundred grains lighter so that I can uh maybe run some uh 200s or 225s up front or or maybe a, a purple heart footed uh sick of Spruce Arrow with like a 190 up front and try to up that FOC a little bit. I know a guy that's got that setup that l- seems pretty awesome, but so far, you know, the setup I have I I'm having no problems. Yeah,
3: and I mean you have the mass weight and if it's super tuned 165 grains up front, I mean yeah, you know, you're. You, I think you said you were 630 grains total arrow weight. Yeah, I and mean, I shoot yeah. uh, 51 at 29 and a half. Yeah, yeah, that's the big issue. I mean, it's like the aluminum conundrum, right? You trying to achieve FOC, it'll handle FOC, but you're. I mean, you just can't. St- you can't get under 750 grains. Yeah, you know, to get to and get the, that much FOC up there,
2: and the wood arrows seem to, they they, they recover just really fast, and they tune real they they tune up really easy i mean the guys at sherwood uh their premiums you know their match sets i mean they they do a really good job it's a really quality shaft that's awesome yeah wood arrows are awesome
3: and the good thing about breaking a wood arrow especially a cedar is this you get to smell it one more time
2: you you sleep in bob
1: no, I'm here, man.
3: Bob, what's <laughs> what's your what's your postseason look like? When we're coming into this time of year, what do you, what are you doing? What what's your off season look like? Do You shoot a lot? I don't. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm usually making up with the wife for being gone for most of the fall, so I'm trying to get some of that in there. Um, and you know, I I, we, I hit our banquet January. Come February, March, I start getting out looking for sheds and scouting around a little bit, I start stump shooting in, you know, and I try to stump shoot through the summer and I'll go to a few shoots. I mean, like I said, I, it's hard for me to take time off work or time away from the family and go to shooting events when I could save that time for hunting. I, I just, I love bow hunting, man. I, I just, if I can do something to get myself a couple more days, then I'll do that. So it's hard, it's hard for me to use, I mean, I love all hunting. I mean, I used to duck hunt. I used to salmon fish. I used to steelhead fish, a uh, uh, chucker hunting. I mean, I used to do it all. But now I'm married and I have a family, and my favorite part of all of that stuff I've ever done is bow hunting. So I try Uh-oh. to give Uh-oh. myself as much time. And when I talk, like, and I'm when I say I go hunting six weeks, that doesn't mean I'm like going out my back door and I'm home every night. Like I'm gone. I'm away from mama. Away from my daughter it's hard it's hard on my family so i don't i don't push it too much it's 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 hard because i want to go do all that stuff also but i i bob, understand
2: that she goes bob, through a
1: lot while i'm gone
2: bob will go on a two-week hunt out of state come home for two days and then go on a, a to a different state for another two weeks and i and so then when i'm asking him like dude let's go to this shoot or just go to this show and he's looking at me like Dude, that would cost me three <laughs> days in Nevada this year all like right. <laughs> it's it's a negotiation and I get that I'm like but for me I, I'm like a social but I kind of want to do it all and I, I do hunt uh, I do hunt away from home a little bit but not like Bob I do I, I have elk in my backyard and I have deer and so you know I might, Go, not come home for a few days, but I'm also just, I can just run home real quick. Right. Um, you know, cause I, where I live, it's, we have, you know, I live in elk country. I mean, the, the I have the elk right here. Um, yeah. So. And,
1: and also with my job, I work extra trades to be able to be gone that much also, you know, so, so that adds up throughout the year too. You know, I work shift work. So, somebody else is covering me while I'm gone. Right, well, right. I I've either had to work that day before I left or I've had to work that day after. And that's a full 24 hours away from home, you know? So I, it, it's a battle. Um, you know, women don't like it when you're gone. It's weird as much as we try to annoy them, but my <laughs> wife likes having me around and, uh, and you know, not all of them can handle it. My wife's been pretty good, especially the last few years. It's hard. You guys know, having kids, it's super hard. Um, oh yeah, it adds a whole other element. So For yeah, sure. that's kind of that's kind of my program, and,
3: Tim, and it's you, not you easy and, on the wife. Sounds like you and Bob subscribe to the same program. You're trying to bank as many uh, every every decision you make throughout the entire year is you're weighing out how many vacation days you're having to give up for for whitetail season
0: literally every decision
1: (laughs) Yeah, i mean i every time i I, we have we literally negotiate we've been to marriage counselors for me me and my wife been married we she divorced me once we remarried like and i was married (laughs) to another gal before that like women are they're hard it's hard to figure them out so so she is she isn't an angel i shouldn't say that you you hear some of these guys on here that that like yeah my wife's just fine with it my wife isn't just fine with it but she is a trooper you know like she's a crazy indian like literally an indian so i can call her that but uh (laughs) she's a trooper man so yeah i'm trying i'm always trying to trying to i'm
2: I'm, lost time i guess you could say I am married to an angel and like even my mother-in-law, my will say, I think it's very important for the time James gets outdoors. I think it makes him, it's really important that we get him out there. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go elk hunting for a week. And she's like, I'll help you with the kids. And so I'm, I'm really lucky. Uh, You know, I, I I thank them all the time that uh, I have a supporting family and my mother-in-law, my wife who who hold value in my uh, time and, you know, going to pursue wild things and wild places. It's, it's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Needless to say, I don't need to say it either. My wife's
3: very understanding of this lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. four yeah. right.
1: boys. Oh my goodness.
3: Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. She came, she came, I mean my best, my best friend, he, i mean we cut our teeth my my two best friends are her family her brother and her cousin and we you know we cut our teeth on archery together traditional archery together and you know hunting her family's farm um you know her dad was a die-hard bow hunter and she gets it she gets it for sure are, are, are your
2: are your uh boys getting getting into it they are they are my uh my so i have a uh, eight
3: a seven-year-old, a two-year-old, and then the newborn. Um, and the eight-year-old, the older brother, he'll, he'll come out and shoot the bow a little bit until his brother starts whooping him. You know, Jude our seven-year-old, he just, he's really coachable. He, he's very, um, He's very aware of, like, what I'm doing, and he tries to mimic me. Jackson is like I am. He's really bullheaded, and he's going to do it his way. And uh he's really hard to coach in that aspect, so Jude just is picking up on it a lot faster, and he's he's getting very good at it and so Jackson'll shoot a few quivers worth, but then when his brothers just starts talking smack, he's like, "All right, I'm done, and he leaves um but jude yeah he he loves it he um he came and shot indoor archery with me the other night, he traveled down to uh Tennessee to the Traditional IBO World Championship this past year, and he competed in the Cub class, and yeah, he he likes it. He's taken to it, and he's he's a good little shot too.
2: My uh my my oldest daughter Alexa, she's um in the Cub class in our local compound shoots here. She has won seven of eight of the Cub competitions 3D with her longbow shooting against girls with compounds with all the bells and whistles. That'll make you proud, Papa. Wow. That's for yeah, sure. And- <laughs> And and then she's gone on to shoot against boys and girls in the trad class in our big state, uh, Pope Young shoot. She uh, won that two years in a row, shooting against boys and girls with trad bows. And she shot a 465 out of 500, uh, having a higher score than any of the adults uh, from, from her stake and beating the cub class out by double the points. Holy heck. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm a proud papa. That's for sure. There's no doubt. And (laughs) yeah, and she, 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 but she only draws twenty pounds, and she wants to hunt, and she's really, really into the outdoors. And and I'm like, well, we're gonna start her off rifle hunting, and she, she really wants to bow hunt, but you know, she's got to draw forty pounds, so she's a long ways out from that. Yeah. Sure. And she's kind of bummed about it. You know, she thinks she's an Indian so <laughs> that's awesome
0: just uh yeah. just put a tube blade on there and load up some foc on our arrow. yeah be fine 20 right
2: yeah so uh, that's awesome kidding. yeah that's awesome
3: speaking of uh speaking of equipment let's go around the horn um and just talk about what we carried in the woods this year um what what's our hunting bow draw weight arrow recipe i'm curious to, to know what you guys are shooting
2: yeah i'm shooting a black tail columbia longbow 62 inches long uh 51 at 29 and a half is the uh, i draw their one piece or their it's a one piece they right? make a one piece and a three piece and this is a one piece okay, i'm yeah. a I'm a one piece guy not i i have i've owned a couple takedowns but i'm strictly i wouldn't mind having a two-piece longbow but i'm i'm really uh drawn to the one piece the lines of them um i shoot a uh um uh, Sherwood shaft, like I was saying, it's uh, 30 and a half inches long. It's a 7580, uh, Grizzly single bevel with a uh, 160 up front, left wing, uh, four fletch, four inch, four fletch, um, 630 grains total weight. I shoot a clicker um so i know i i draw that 29 and a half every time um i've got that clicker set up so it really makes no noise at all i can just feel it mm-hmm. when it goes off um i use joel turner's uh system he's you know i like to say joel turner saved my trad life i had some serious target panic so i i use uh his i use a mantra and you know it's you know y- I think you guys all are are on that program or understand it and oh yeah, and so that's you know that's pretty much uh what I do and how i how I do it that's awesome how about you bob um
1: i'm shooting a sixty six inch long black tail one piece recurve uh it's forty eight pounds at twenty eight inches, and i am also shooting sherwood shafts they're about the same weight six hundred and thirty grains um, I shoot five inch feathers, three of them. And, uh, the last two years I've been shooting Zwicky's. And then before that I shot the woodsman, the three blades. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I don't use a clicker or anything. I shoot uh, split finger and, uh, you yep. aiming
3: aiming instinctively.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I cut my point ons kind of at 40 mm-hmm. and, uh, so if I'm getting close to that range, I'll pay attention to that. But if it's in, you know, slam dunk range, I don't, yeah, I don't really think about it a lot. I just pick a spot and and the magic, if I get lucky or knock on wood, a <laughs> magic happens sometimes. So <laughs> I,
2: I've got a, and I've got a, I guess a high anchor, 25 yard point on, I shoot intuitive, um, and I use a three under with a Rod Jenkins tab. Oh, okay, there you go. Bob, are you using a glove or a tab?
1: Yeah, I'm a glove guy. Glove guy. Always been. Never even tried a tab. That, yeah. That's
2: what I. That's what I love about me and Bob is like it's so much different. Like our setups are just totally recurve longbow, split fingered, three under. It's it's totally different. Right. Uh, uh, it it Kind of complements each other. Yeah, it's cool.
1: I don't understand why you guys put all those gadgets on a recurve, like clickers and stuff like that. What the heck? <laughs> you'll be dragging it through the brush and it falls off, and then you'll be like, oh, crap, I don't have my clicker. Or, I don't understand shooting three under. I would It would freak me out not having the knock in my fingers. Like I would pull back on a giant bull, and the arrow would fall off the screen. I mean, I know that would happen. Like I just couldn't do it. There's no way you could ever talk me into it. Also... I don't care if I could shoot better i would still want to hold on to my arrow Like I, that <laughs> blows my mind especially oh. you guys are holding like two inches
2: below it for your gap thing or whatever like <laughs> holy smokes and also mind. bob is superstitious which i find hilarious and for you know, him like really? his hat is good luck his bow is good luck his quiver is good luck like <laughs> and if he were to like get a new bow and he would miss like a bull he would sell it because it was bad luck until he, <laughs> like for him it's all like rides on luck I, well it's it's not necessarily just luck it's a
1: confidence thing for me you know like i feel like especially instinctive shooting like it's it's all confidence if you are pulling up to shoot an animal and you're thinking about missing it or thinking about anything other than that spot where your arrow is going to hit like you're you're screwed man oh, you're yeah. going to miss it it's like <laughs> it's just pretty simple so uh, yeah i like, to, I, like to, I, conf, I have confidence in certain things and i just like to keep it that way i'm kind of i'm not an ocd person but when it comes down to my bow my arrow like all of that stuff the crunch time stuff i am ocd like i shoot the same glove right I like to have my my I like my knock to actually snap on my bow. I argue with this with Andy all the time. So I have him double wrap my serving.
3: Oh, and you're I'm making done me cringe, dude! <laughs>
1: like I, I go, oh yeah, this will mess up whatever. I, my arrow flies just fine, buddy. It, it does. Yeah, so I, but let's say same... like everything's dialed, and I just well, I mess with it. So that's
3: funny.
2: But but for me, I'm always like. Paper tuning like I want perfect aeroflight. flight like it, it has to be everything has to be perfect if I make one little change it, it, I have to take like a week off of work to try to like get it back to perfect it seems like <laughs> where Bob he doesn't even want to make that change he's just like I'm sticking with this forever. Well,
1: and, and part of the reason is like I didn't have a shoulder; I wasn't able to make a change. You know, I wasn't able to shoot. But, but I mean, I can tell if my arrows are flying good or not. I've been shooting a bow as a little kid; like it's pretty simple. I shoot an arrow, and oh, that ain't flying worth of crap. I don't need a bunch of paper or anything to tell me it's <laughs> it's whatever. I, I go find the right arrow, I get a different <laughs> spine, and I shoot it, and that one shoots perfect. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> now, funny story the the reason I switched from from woodsman's to Zwicky's uh maybe i shouldn't tell this make me sound like an idiot but but uh a couple years ago I, and this was when i'd switched i had to shoot a compound one year i got my shoulder surgery and i'm like bam i'm back baby right i, I let it heal up whatever well my shoulder was still i sh- shouldn't have been shooting yet it'd only been 4 months maybe after my surgery and i'm trying to get ready for hunting season and i pull out my bow well andy built me a new string cuz he said my old one was going to break which that was a mistake i'll never do that again i still have the same string anyway and it was it had stretched a little bit well i didn't notice so my brace sight was off and i went to shoot my broadheads field tips everything were flying fine but my broadheads the same woodsman's that i've been shooting forever on the same arrows were flying funny and i'm like what the hell couldn't figure it out and so i got my my arrow box and i got all kinds of broadheads in there you know and i'm like well i'll try zwicky i shot the zwicky bam flew perfect so that's what I shot, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then, uh, then I went out and killed an elk and a mountain lion, and and so I just stuck with that. And then I realized later that it was because my brace height was off.
0: So, <laughs>
2: which which doesn't make you a retard, just a hillbilly. Uh, yeah, maybe, uh, but
1: I'm not uh, like I'm not like gonna, I'm not the kind of guy that shoots three different arrows. Like I, I weigh every arrow, all of my arrows were within three grains. So like I, like I said, I'm super anal about the things that I can control. So I can take that out of the the equation, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. So That's so funny. how about how
0: about you guys? Timmy? Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead, buddy. I shoot a stalker wolverine. It is forty seven pounds at thirty inches, sixty two inches long. Um shot gold tip pierce arrows. This five hundred spine, three hundred grains up front and four inch parabolics, three of them never got into four fletch. I think I might try that this coming spring. I uh, shoot a, this is interesting. I shoot a split finger Fred Eichler tab, but I shoot three under with it. And only because Matt also does that. And when, when I was learning, you know, when I was learning all this stuff, that was what he was doing. He was shooting a, a split Fred Eichler tab three under. So I did the same, and it, it's it's super comfortable for me. I've never, never really gotten comfortable, never really given an honest shot to a you know just a regular 300 tab. But yeah, I like split tabs. Well, if
2: you decide to, that uh, Rod Jenkins tab is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's
3: a good tab. That's what I, I have uh, one of those. That's a that's a nice tab.
2: Yeah, I mm-hmm. I shot I shot finger I shot gloves for a long, for the first many years and then I went to the tab and I played with a few different ones and I got that Rod Jenkins tab and I think I'm set. Um though that is it Yoast is that mm-hmm. is that yeah uh, th- that 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 one interests me. Oh yeah. That that tab mm-hmm. is that tab is awesome. That
3: tab is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, every every year it's different. Um I I, Every year I start the hunting season the same. I slap together some bows. I shoot ILF rigs um, most years. And I'll slap together a couple different recipes of bow, different limbs, different weights, different arrow combinations. And um, I I typically, uh, during the off-season, I'm kind of brainstorming while I'm competing and stuff about what my hunting bow is going to look like and hunting recipe. Um, Typically, the cool thing about ILF rigs is um, the weight adjustability and the tunability, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. We always talk about the, the benefits of an ILF rig. Um, what I'll do is I'll dream up an arrow recipe that I want to try for the upcoming hunting season. And I'll pretty closely, I'll, I'll fletch up a bunch of arrows and I'll cut a bear shaft and I'll get that arrow recipe created. And then I tune my bow to that arrow recipe where okay. with, you know, shooting takedowns or, or,
0: uh, long you're, Tuning the arrow to your bow. Um, You're so funny, dude. A, a, a question as simple as what bow are you shooting turns into a 15 minute ILF. <laughs> I'm getting somewhere. Like, dude, what bow are you I'm shooting? getting somewhere. Just, this is a 10 second answer. Yeah, we're talking bow. We're talking bow hunting,
2: Matt. Bow hunting. <laughs> Please. You know, we're animals are running around and they die because you shoot at them. Let's talk about that. Tell us about tell us your bow hunting rig. Uh, the benefits so, of the so, so this year, uh, I
3: I put a bunch of bows up against each other, and I ended up landing on a WF19 riser in my lightest set of limbs I've ever walked in the woods with. As to this year was the lightest bow I've carried. It was a 44 pound bow at my draw weight. Um, I shot which okay. is what's that? What's your draw? Um, it was well, depending on the crawl, but with my form changes now, it's 28 inches now. Okay. Yep. With my with the form tweaks that I made uh here recently, I'm at 28 inches right now. Um, and then I gold tip pierce like Tim. Tim got me into the gold tip pierce. I'm using four fletch, um, two four inch across from each other, and two two and a half inch across from each other. Um, and then a cutthroat 250 grand cutthroat and uh, 25 yard fixed crawl and um, this coming hunting season it'll be the stalker ilf that uh, is being made at south shop for sure I, I shot his prototype and i put it up against a couple bow recipes that have typically won in the all the categories that got me to take it into the woods and uh it won out um so that's that's going to be the bow uh, i should be actually getting that bow next week i think so That's be, awesome! Yeah, super exciting.
2: Well, I think I think we've talked uh, kind of how we all got here, and I think we you know put on some time. I think we should do this again, maybe like after spring season, and and get dive into the hunting aspect if you guys want to. Yeah, for um, sure. But I think we did you know pretty good job uh, talking to. Uh, our listeners and let them know who we are and how we got into this game absolutely yeah what uh what's yeah, your, what's definitely. upcoming for you guys what do you got going on here in the next couple months uh spring bear is what i look forward to i've never done turkeys and so some shed horn hunting some elk scouting and uh looking for uh spring bears how about you bob yeah
1: i might uh, i i don't do the spring bear every year james lives in a little better area for it but yeah I, I get out in the spring um do a lot of shed hunting hiking around and stump shooting and then i do have a bunch of preference points to draw an eastern oregon spring bear tag this year with with andy maybe so we might go over and do that for a week or so and uh yeah that's about it man i'm kind of remodeling the house and moving into so that'll keep me busy that's awesome
3: cool
2: well very good well, well yeah well we, we really appreciate us having us on and uh, we definitely would love to do this again, you know, and then, you know, after we spit out another 20 episodes a piece or something and get on go. and, and, uh, and talk some, talk some bow hunting and, um, you know, I look forward to when our paths cross cause I'm sure it's going to happen eventually. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah that'll be great. Yep. Appreciate your guys' time. That was
3: awesome. Um, this will be interesting how to end the podcast here. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to <The> end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: right. Uh, so that's good. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll close it out. And I uh, hope the listeners enjoy this. Hope the push side of the listeners enjoy this. Hope the TradQuest side of the listeners enjoy this. And um, that's good. Hey, do your tagline. What is it? Keep the wind in oh. your face. Oh,
2: yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, keep the wind in your face pick a spot and shoot straight
0: and there it is and timmy that's a lot cooler than ours <laughs> i feel like we need to step our game up. <laughs> get primal guys
2: <laughs> <laughs> wet west side <laughs> yeah <laughs> you guys
0: are uh, pretty
3: good it's pretty good uh that's good all right buddy west thank side. you thank you for the time thanks for listening in and we'll talk to you later
2: hope you guys enjoyed that podcast with the push we sure enjoyed hanging out with those guys it was awesome Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram. Leave us a review. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight.